0: Hey, Phil Farber, apparently we're huge in Ireland. Number one in Ireland. Yeah. We're number one. Hello and welcome to The Red Line, presented by Isles Fix, your only daily New York Islanders newsletter. Subscribe at islesfix.substack.com. Uh, let's get into this. Uh, Phil Farber, of course, on Twitter, at Phil's Facts. I am at Tuck on Sports. Thanks so much for tuning in to the latest Red Line. Uh, a few podcasts ago, I brought up DEFCON, and I failed miserably because I messed up. But this time, I've got it, okay? I know DEFCON 5 is everything is fine. DEFCON 1 is nuclear war is imminent. Phil, how are we feeling right now on the uh, uh, Islander DEFCON scale?
1: I'll put it at three, right down the middle.
0: Okay. You're you're more optimistic than me, which is a a change. I'm putting it at three. Okay. I'm at two, by the way. You're at two, okay. I could get I could get to
1: two in like (laughs) three nights from now. Okay. Depending on how things go in Vancouver and Seattle. I I could very quickly get to two. But we'll kind of discuss what what we perceive to you know, the issues to be. I mean, and the good thing about this is since we last spoke, so I don't know if this is just by accident or on, on purpose. Dave and I, we just haven't really been exchanging messages much over the past week, uh, which, which I think will be good because um, you know, these aren't conversations we've had since the last time we spoke, so i'm I'm curious to see what Dave's perspective is on on where he thinks things are going wrong and and what fixes he wants. Burn to see it all down my own perspective.
0: We're in DEFCON 1. <laughs> it's the worst thing possible. Ah, I Okay, well, since we have left, by the way, I'm going to count the Minnesota game in there, but uh, we did record after the Minnesota game. Since that Minnesota game, uh, we lost to the Bruins 5-2. to We lost to the Capitals 4-1. Uh, that was when the Capitals were coming on. A, that was a second half of a back-to-back for the Capitals at uh, in New York. And then yep. we lost to a struggling Oilers team uh, who had a new coach in place uh, 4-1. Over the last four games, we have no points and we have been outscored 17 to six. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me why I shouldn't be worried.
1: Okay. I'd say the only reason not to be worried is because I actually, and this sounds crazy, but I think overall they're playing better in these last four games than they played in their first 10 games. And what I mean by that, they were winning ugly. In some of the games early in the season like against Ottawa I think we gave up 47 shots I think that was Sorokin's best game of the season the Capitals we three had, nothing
0: win I mean we were outshot the 19- Capitals three,
1: right we were getting outshot 19 to 5 and had a three a three nothing win just because we were cashing in on chances very opportunistically the Columbus game fairly even but there were a couple of sequences in that game where there were players getting in behind the defense un, unimpeded and Varley was standing on his head to stop breakaway chances Uh, The Carolina game kind of got away from us after we went up three, nothing. I thought that was a pretty even tilt until that point. And then we were just under siege, getting out shot 20 to five in the third period. I think in each of the last four games, I think that we have had the better of play at five on five. Our goaltenders have not been under siege. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the defensive deficiencies that we saw in the first 10 games have been getting cleaned up. Problems are, Any single time we have had a breakdown, it's ended up in the back of the net, which is just, in some ways, that's shit luck that every single time someone's out of position, it ends up going in. Um, The penalty kill has been putrid and has been costing us at critical times, right? And part of that is on the penalty kill, and part of that is on the goaltending. By the way, and it was worse
0: than it even looked last night because one of their penalty kills was a three-second kill. And then they let up a goal in about eight seconds. So. Over right. 11 seconds, they let up a goal.
1: Right, and it's it's really the timing, though, also, right? Minnesota game, it's a 2-2 game. Islanders have the better of the play through the first two periods. We take a penalty. We kill the penalty off. We take another penalty, which, okay, I thought it was a follow-through by Dobson, but the refs disagreed, and I think that was the weakest goal Varley's led in all year. It kind of hit him in the shoulder, and then immediately after, they get another goal, right? And that's been the theme. As soon as we go down, it starts to to spiral real quick. Right. The that's that's one of my
0: worries And listen, I don't want to make this a doom and gloom podcast Because I know Islander fans are obviously a little bit pessimistic Right now, we're feeling down uh, You know, you've got to ride the emotions uh, Wayne Gretzky once said Never get too high, never get too low And I think as a fan, it's almost impossible But, you know, that's what we are, we're emotional That said, you know, it's a long season And, uh, you know, we'll bring up some stats Phil has done some research about where we were 50 games into the season, we'll do that in a second But uh, One of the things that does worry me and I am not a Trotz truther. I never was. I mean, I like Trotz. I think he's a great coach. But I also thought he was flawed. I thought he made some mistakes. Um, but one thing that was always apparent with the Trotz Islanders were that when the shit hit the fan, okay, when the going got tough, we got tougher. When yeah. this, when that team faced adversity, they fought back. If somebody hit us, we hit them twice as hard. If somebody took mm-hmm. down one of our players, we took down two of theirs, If we let up a goal, we fought back. This team under Lane seems to lack mental fortitude. We let up a penalty. It's like the third period was fine until Simon Holmstrom's stick inadvertently hits the left skate uh, of Kulak, I believe it was. And then suddenly it's, you know, it's one power play goal. And then, boom, you know, another penalty after, you know, Ryan Pullock just inadvertently backhand over the, over the glass. And suddenly, you know, Connor McDavid lets another, gets another one in and it's, that one's probably on Sorokin. That that, that is not, I I thought, listen, but I I don't want to get into this. We'll get into the Sure. but I'm saying, okay, I want to stick on the fortitude just for a moment here. To me, it's just like, when do we get like, when do we battle? You know? I mean, I feel like oftentimes like teams take run at our players and nobody answers. Like for fuck's sake, listen, if you're the captain of the team and you're not going to contribute offensively, at least stand up for the players on your team as a captain. Thank I mean, someone. take a page, take a page out of uh, out of Tuchuk's book in in Ottawa. You know, Florida. Right. Like those are the guys. Like that's what a captain should do. And I feel like that's what Andrews Lee did even three years ago. And I, I just don't see it anymore. I see players getting you know taking runs at our players. Uh, nobody nobody answering. Um, I, I see we let up a goal and suddenly we just go into a cage and it's almost like everybody's just like, Oh, and, 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 Lane just has no answer. He has no, he just doesn't seem to have a finger on the pulse of this team at all.
1: He seems like a man without a plan and outside of the 30 game stretch, mostly without bars that saved them last season. His results as a coach have been incredibly underwhelming. I think it's time to move on, right? The Oilers just made a change. I think it's abundantly clear that Lane is not the guy um who has the the ear of the room. Listen, I mean people I, I Is it clear to you? I'm curious. I think is it it's clear because it sometimes I it's, it's fans we assume I, and we don't no, know. No, I think it's clear. I just don't think they They don't respond and So you don't I you don't take anything the
0: Casey Suzas's uh he's, comments listen,
1: he's trying to stick up for his coach. I thought the comment was idiotic. You don't go after paying customers, especially when ticket sales are down. But. I thought that was a tremendously stupid thing for Casey to say and look um it seems that every single move that he's made this year every single button he's pressed has has been the wrong one right and we saw it in the Boston game he scratches Pierre Engvall after making a mistake albeit a costly mistake against Minnesota on the 4-2 goal but you scratch a guy who's on your most productive line right between the three of them, by the way, Palmieri, Nelson, and, and Engvall, they combined for 19 shots last night. Not all at five on five, but most of them were, right? That has been easily their most effective line. They haven't scored, you know, in, in the past couple of games, but the direct result of that was putting Anders Lee on a line that he hasn't played on at all this season. And each team had two special teams goals. And the difference was the Nelson-Palmieri-Lee line was 0-2 at five on five, right? You could see a direct correlation between the button that Lane pressed and the end result that came up in that game, and it's not like Engvall has looked any better since he's come back into the lineup i I think he's been a little bit more hesitant and and timid with the puck in these past couple games i, well, I, I think mean, that isn't' not really that like, dumb spread
0: Listen isn't that like you know one all one coaching? Like coaching 101, the first thing you learn, I, I don't know. I mean, I coach I coach a, a squirt team. I coach a 10U team, but I'm the director of player development for a hockey organization out here. And the first thing we teach our coaches, the first thing I learned as a coach was I, I never want my players to be afraid of making mistakes. Now, obviously, yeah. at the NHL level, it's different, and I understand that you want to hold players accountable. But I would rather be holding players accountable for dumb mental mistakes or selfish mistakes. Let's say Barzal takes a selfish penalty. Let's say you know that kind of thing. Um, so those are the kind of mistakes that I'm going to punish. Things that are preventable. Uh, I mean, we don't have that many players who can actually skate with the puck. Pierre Engvall right. is one of them. Did the play versus Minnesota was it horrific? Yeah, it was awful. But to bench him for that just doesn't seem to make any sense. What message is Lane telling him? Don't skate with the puck anymore. Well, I he mean, just, we want it, we want it
1: seemingly put it put not seemingly it put his team. At he he handicapped the team in a game where they didn't have Adam Pellet, right? You're already playing with Simon Bolduc, uh, Samuel Bolduk in the lineup. And knowing that, you're also taking away one of your best puck transporters and a guy who's worked really well with Nelson and Palmieri to start the season uh, and, and dating back to last season. I just don't know what kind of message that sends to a team that was looking for a win on the road in Boston there. And, well, and we had the better of the
0: play. I mean, this we allowed the... three five-on-five five shots in that second period. This is the thing, to me, when you punish players for mistakes, you really go down a dangerous road. Um, I know players want to hold, I know fans want to hold players accountable, and I understand that. But you have to be really careful when you're punishing. You know, if you were to punish the Matt Barzal's and the Connor Bedard's and the Connor McDavid's, and these are guys, when you hold the puck a long time, when you have more possession time, you are going to have more turnovers. You're going to make more mistakes. Okay. We can't just have an entire team of Cal Clutterbucks and Casey Zizekas. You know, the guys who, hey, they know what their job is, get over the red line, dump it in, and go chase. You don't win championships with those guys. Yes, you need those guys, but you also need the Piering balls. You need guys who are going to actually skate with the puck. And when you skate with the puck, yes, you are going to turn the puck over. I just don't know what message you're sending. Um, You know, do we not want our players to be extraordinary? Do we not want our players to actually try to make plays and be playmakers? It, this doesn't make any sense to me. It was, from a coaching perspective, it was mind-blowing to me. And, and I, I was, but I, I still, I, I do wonder sometimes. I mean, the Casey Zizekas comment, yes, it was stupid. I give him a pass. He's an emotional player. That's pretty obvious. Uh, heat of the moment. He's upset. They lost the game. You know, you can't attack your paying fans. That's stupid. Casey knows that. That said, I get it. I wonder, though, is there anything to it? Does he actually support his coach, or... Have, has he lost the room? Yeah, I mean, maybe he hasn't.
1: Maybe the players really like him. But I, I just think that whatever he's doing is just not working. And even when they were winning earlier this season, right, you had two of those games are Varlamov shutouts, right? They had the win against Arizona where Arizona really came in out of gas. Only mustered 14 shots. And then the other two wins are games in which they have the lead, two nothing leads at home. And then they ended up blowing them only to get them back later in the third period. And that was the games against Buffalo and Ottawa. So when you look at the tail of the tape, it's three shutouts and then two games, which were kind of coin flip games that they happened to come out on the right end of the other nine games, right? You've had games where you've blown leads, multiple goal leads at home. Um, and, you know, in 12 out of their 14 games so far, they've either gone into the third period tying and leading the inability for them to be able to power through and battle when things start to go, you know, the, the slightest bit of adversity that hits them. And it's, it's in stark contrast to last year, as we pointed out, like they had three multi-goal comebacks in a row last year against Colorado, the Rangers, uh, and Calgary. Um, and we've, you know, the the issue last year was the first periods were a mess this year. The first periods have actually been quite good. Uh, but the third periods have been where they are, you know, making their bed this season and, and not in a good way.
0: Yeah, I just I remember last year and it started there's it was a trend that I noticed last year that I didn't notice when they were under trots was I thought that our players had each other's backs a little bit more last year. Um and I remember I think it was Port Portuzo uh Blues who just crushed Pelican to the boards and sent them out for a month.
1: Yep. That
0: was about No one responded. Nobody and there was just like zero response. Like where's the captain? Where's anybody? Is anybody going to yeah. answer? Um I mean, I Shockingly, the only player that seems to kind of like come to their team's defense is Oliver Wallstrom occasionally, uh, which you like to see. But there's just no answer. There's just none. I mean, listen, the hit against Mayfield last night, I don't. I think it was fine. Mayfield was reaching and his head was down. And, you know, but still, it's like in today's in today's NHL, like something. Stick right up for
1: your guy. Someone stick up for Horvat. I mean, that was a pretty dirty hit by by Drysidle.
0: Right? Yeah. I mean, the, the cross check into the back of his legs—just nothing. There's just there just seems to be a lack of fight uh, underlaying, and and that's that's concerning to me. Um, so, okay, so we covered the Engvall. Uh Andrews Lee. We kind of covered last week, and and I don't—that's that, a problem. That's an issue. That's not going to go away. We talked about Casey. Talked about the games um, going forward. What's going to happen? I mean. Coaching changes, I think a lot of people kind of, they think in NFL terms, they go, well, if you make a coaching change, you're throwing in the white towel. That's not the case in the NHL. Um, and actually, quite recently, we've had two midseason coaching changes that have resulted in Stanley Cups. I'm not going to say that's going to happen for the New York Islanders, but it's not out of the scope of possibility. Um, you know, the St. Louis Blues changed coaches. Uh, Mike Sullivan took over the Penguins. And in both those cases, those teams won the Stanley Cup. Uh, do you think, I mean, ask it number one, would you make a change? Then number two, do you think Lou is ever going to make a change? And if we're making a change, third part of this, who would you want to see? And who are the possibilities out there?
1: I mean, I think the most obvious would be Jay Woodcroft who held the highest win percentage in Oilers history, only to get fired for really bad goaltending. I mean, that's what it was, right? Their, their goaltending was like eight sixty five combined. I mean, the the team was bad too. Let's be honest. Well, McDavid is clearly hurt. No, no, 100%. 100%. I mean, he is playing very, very hurt. I don't think they're that bad, the Oilers. I think their defense is okay. Their offense without McDavid... is I mean, versus us, their defense looked great. I think in general, they've been pretty good overall this season at limiting chances. It's just when mistakes are made, their goaltenders have not been able to bail them out. And uh, Jack Campbell in particular was just, you know, uh, as leaky as can be. I think that... They, um, you know, listen, if you're a GM and you sign a goalie to a, uh, a, a contract and Campbell's what five by five or something like that, yeah, or five by four, I mean, you're waving that guy at the beginning of the second year of that contract. And then you have the balls to go ahead and then say, okay, by the way, coach, you're gone. Like, <laughs> where's the accountability on the general manager there? Um, but I think that would be an option. Other than that, I mean, there aren't really a lot of names that pop out at you, like, I don't think this group would do well with Gerard Glant. I didn't think Glant was particularly good with the Rangers, but they had enough high-end talent. And really, it was a combination in his first season of insane goaltending by Shesterkin and an elite power play that got them through. The Islanders are not going to have an elite power play, no matter who comes in and coaches. It's not like Glant was this power play savant. It just happened to be that he's got Zibanejad, Fox, uh, Kreider, and Panarin on the top unit. Um, So other other than Woodcroft, you know, people are talking about john hines who who obviously doesn't have the greatest track record but i just think they need a new voice even if it's just someone to slap an interim tag on and get rid of their assistant coaches behind the bench who have done such a poor job with both the power play and the penalty kill i, I just think they need a shot to the bow you what, can't about, fire the what team. about what
0: about bruce uh, bruce bujo
1: i just don't know if he's interested in coaching i don't know you know i may have read that somewhere and, and maybe i'm wrong on that but i thought after what happened in vancouver that he was just you know no longer interested in okay. in
0: Tortorello, the NHL, would never allow him back right now. And by
1: Tortorello, you mean Quenville, right?
0: Quenville, thank you. Tortorello, either. Uh, (laughs) Also him.
1: He's coaching the Flyers.
0: Right, right, right. Uh, But yeah, Quenville, thank you. Uh, uh, With the Chicago Blackhawks uh, scandal uh, from years ago, obviously. Right,
1: Babcock, obviously.
0: I don't like Babcock. I don't
1: think he's the right person for this group. And that whole Columbus thing was kind of weird.
0: Babcock's not. He's not. I'm just wondering. It's hard for me to imagine. I mean, you and I, I think we want to change but would Lou make a change to another unproven, or would he need a proven name, or at least a veteran name available?
1: I think I think I think Brooksie was the one that put it out there. And I, again, I don't like Hines at all. I don't think he was a good coach in with the Devils. With Nashville, he had a little bit of success, a couple first round exits. V, you know, his his squad versus those Avalanche teams were were always going to be overmatched. So, I, you know, I don't know any coach gets them out of that, you know, out of those series with, with a win, but if, if just for the sake of getting Lane out of there and showing the team like, okay, now we got rid of the coach, we got a new voice. Now, now all of you are going to be held fully accountable here. I think, I think you just got to do something. Do you think, doing, Lee, do you doing think nothing? Do
0: you think Lou does it? I think he does.
1: Yeah. If, if this continues for another few games, absolutely. He will. I have no doubt.
0: What? Okay. I'm gonna throw some fun things at you. Then, uh, is Lane still coaching this team on Christmas?
1: No, ah. no, I gen- I genuinely don't think so.
0: Okay, there you go. I, I I put you on the spot. I was curious what you thought.
1: Listen, four years ago, I think it was, I put out a tweet in October that Mike Babcock will not be coaching the Maple Leafs come Christmas time. People said I was crazy, and. It was like five or six games into the season. The Leafs weren't playing. Well, I was like, what do you mean? He's under contract for like three or four more seasons, six and a half million a year. Even if MLSE has all the money in the world, they're not firing Babcock. And then it was after a game against Vegas where the Leafs actually played really well and were robbed by Marc-Andre Fleury. I can't remember if it was Dubas or if it was Shani who got on the plane and they brought Sheldon Keefe with them and they said, Babcock, you're done. Keefe, you're going to be coaching in Arizona. And that was actually uh, Pierre Engvall's first game, and he had a shorthanded goal. Which, speaking of, why are we not using Pierre Engvall on the pe- penalty kill? I mean, there are so many things. I mean, listen, we, so can, we the, could nitpick the coaching. Just, the penalty what?
0: killing personnel is just so stubborn. I mean, I knew, honestly. It's just I, wrong. When Simon, t- when Simon took the penalty last night, I was like, oh, no.
1: Yeah, our best penalty, penalty our killer pe-
0: pe- pe- That's just, when Peugeot or Simon take a penalty, it's just an absolute nightmare. Um, you know, on the,
1: on the flip side, when... <laughs> I mean, tell me if you have this feeling too. When when they took the uh, puck over glass penalty last night, I was actually excited. I was thinking to myself like, all right, it's two one. Yeah. The only way we're getting back into this game is with a, a Pajot to Holmstrom. <laughs> goal. There was a chance,
0: and there was one point where Holmstrom got the puck, and he—you could see he was thinking about it. By the way, and then he just
1: and then he just dumped it in.
0: Mind mind blowing to me. You're down by two or three minutes to left. I don't know what your thought was. I mean, they ended up getting an empty netter, so maybe I'm going to sound stupid saying this, but. You're down by two or three minutes to go, and you've got a power play. Why are you not going six on four right away? Yeah, well,
1: two things. First of all, why aren't you going six on four right away? And the second thing is they picked the worst possible time to pull the goalie. I mean, they were just getting out of their own zone. At least set yourself up, establish possession. Well, that's, what, that's what I was start actually going to say. If, it was the worst goalie pull I've ever
0: seen. This is the thing. So there's, I don't know what was there, 320-something left when they took when they got down the zone of the power play. Somewhere around there. Uh, three fifty, maybe. Okay, they're down by two goals. I understand not pulling the goalie on the face off because maybe the Oilers win the face off and they get a free shot at our, at our empty net and the game's over.
1: Yep, because they could ice the puck. You're on the power uh, penalty kill. But Absolutely. we
0: won the like Varley to me should be like at the almost the blue line.
1: And by Varley, you mean Sorokin?
0: Sorokin, what is wrong? With my names today, God, see, yeah. this is what happens, age. I got, I got Quenville and Tortorello mixed up. I mean, I feel like all those old-school asshole coaches are the same now, right? Um, but anyway, um, I, I yeah, Sorokin and Varley. But why isn't Sorokin, like, making his way to the bench already? So when the Islanders do win the faceoff, which, by the way, they did win the faceoff, they got control. Like, to me, it's, okay, win the faceoff, get control, immediately pull a goalie. Yep. But you wait wait to win the faceoff because maybe you don't win that faceoff. And sometimes, obviously, that's, that's a problem. But they they literally win the faceoff, get control, and go, I don't know, 35 seconds of five on four down by two goals.
1: Yep. Puck leaves the zone. As soon as they get the puck back, then they pull the goalie. I think it was maybe Dobson who turned it over or Barzell. I can't remember. And then the next thing you know, it's in the net.
0: I mean, just nonsense. terrible.
1: Yeah, just just terrible.
0: And I'll tell what? you this
1: though. The one thing he did do,
0: did maybe he, do? he uh, maybe
1: he listens to our podcast. But we spoke about how down two goals, um, on the penalty kill with about four minutes left, he didn't use Barzal and Horvat as a penalty killing pair against Boston. I want to say yeah, it was against Boston. He did right. Four minutes yeah. left. Again, they took another penalty, and then he used Barzal and Horvat to oh. finish off that penalty kill. Not that it mattered.
0: Well, Lane, listen, if you mm-hmm. are listening to this, it's not too late. Okay. It's not too you can late. Quit. Just, don't just be leave. no, no. Just don't don't be a proud man. <laughs> don't be a proud man. Put Anders Lee on the fourth line. Uh, get 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 Fashing back in there. Let, let's give Gautier, uh, um you know, four or five games actually. Let's real give him minutes. a little bit of run, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. Get him, get him, get him in a real lineup spot. What are the By the odds? way, I thought the fourth line actually looked really good last night. Um, I think it was probably refreshing for Casey to see that he actually has someone with him on the four check or someone who's getting in ahead of him on the four check, as opposed to uh, it always been Casey, but they,
0: well, listen, if Cal come. is the slowest one on the fourth line, it's not a terrible thing, right? If Cal is right. the it's second fast, it
1: often happens that like Casey's just like in way ahead and like Cal and, and Martin are like slowly making their way into the zone last night. I thought they, they, they generated a couple decent looks. They were buttoned up defensively that line. I I'd want to see, Gautier get at least the opportunity that we saw Fashion get last year. Do you,
0: you want to keep Gautier on the fourth line, or would you rather see him on the third line?
1: I'd rather see him on the third. And I said in middle of the first period, I'm like, this, this second, this third line is just not working because Lee and Paulstrom are so slow. They had maybe one good shift the entire game. In, in the uh, I, I, I tweeted. The I
0: said, yeah. poor Pajot.
1: Yeah. And there's not a not problem. I just look. don't
0: know where to put him. And, and somebody did bring this up, and I think it's a valuable point. Uh, Matt, who's uh, at Islanders Takes, always has uh, – I, I like the way his brain works when it comes to the Islanders. He talked about Andrews Lee, you know, moving to the fourth line. He said it's time. And, and I do think it's time for him to see if he can play a bottom six role, obviously. The fact of the matter is we don't know if he would be an effective fourth liner. You know, Listen, is Parisi, he,
1: wasn't, Parisi wasn't a third-line player until he became a third-line player, right?
0: So Right, and he was a great third-line player. I'm wondering, does player. Anders' league game, tra- does his game translate to the fourth line? Can he be, you know, can he be Matt Martin-esque? Not, not, he's not going to fight. I don't really care about that. But, you know, can he hit? Can he four-check? Um, can he play solid defense? Can he be smart? Um, he's slow, but I don't think he's a, He's certainly not slower than Matt Martin. No, I mean he was getting
1: in on the forecheck last night. He actually
0: beat one guy on the on the backhand that he took after the whistle. He actually beat yeah. The that was Darnell
1: man. Nurse. I think it was Nurse, right? Yeah, yeah. No, he he was skating last night. It's just I think the the three of them together don't necessarily gel well, and that's not a good mix. I would have I would have gone with uh, maybe even move wallet. Yeah, I would have moved lead of the fourth line and then switched him with Gautier and just see if if that could have produced better results for for both lines.
0: Yeah. That's uh, what I would have
1: done last night.
0: What okay. What would make you happy over the next two games from a lineup perspective and from a results perspective? And and we'll uh, we'll put a bow on this baby.
1: Yeah, I mean, keep keep Holmstrom with the top line, see if they can build something together, right? I know Lane's been very A D D with the way he kind of moves things around and, and are, can't are we even certain
0: it. Simon's not gonna get benched for taking a penalty in the third period?
1: We're not certain. That would be so very stupid.
0: But very lane-like.
1: It would be very lane-like. So yeah, I guess I guess we'll see. Like he I wants can't to hold people
0: it. he wants to hold people accountable for their mistakes. And hey, he took the penalty that was eventually the game winning goal. He's not and Simon wasn't great no, last night. He
1: knows he's too good to bench him. He's not going to bench him. I wanna I wanna see Simon have a good four to five game run with Horvat and Barcel before making a change there. I wanna see Either Gautier or, yeah, I put Gautier with with Pajot. That's who he worked with in preseason. Um, you know, maybe they'll they'll have some sort of French connection over there. Uh, but I, I just think Pajot deserves someone who could actually skate with him on that line finally. Um, fourth line, let's get Lee, is Fashing. Let's let Clutterbuck sit a game or two. They're not going to because he's so close to 1,000. I think he's three away. Um, and then the other thing I was going to mention, and and this is kind of, you know, I'm torn on this, right? Because one school of thought is, all right, we need to get Sorokin going, and maybe the tandem thing isn't going to work for him ultimately. Maybe he just needs a lot of consecutive starts in a row. Um, but if Varley continues to play the way Varley's been playing, I mean, do you give him two out of
0: every three? I mean, you might at least you might at least split them.
1: They've been splitting them. They've been going. I'm. I'm fully expecting Varlamov to be a net tomorrow night against Vancouver. Right. So the past seven games has been alternating. Um. I would expect that that's going to continue. I would expect that Varlamov is going to get the game against Vancouver. I would assume Sorokin's going to get Seattle. And then assuming that you know they continue on the way they've been going, I would I would expect Varlamov to play Calgary. If if Varley continues to play the way he's playing, and Sorokin continues to play the way he's playing. I mean, just just ride the hot hand for a little bit, no
0: i I, I you're not you you're you're, spe- you're you're preaching to the choir i'm uh listen say they, listen th-
1: they have not been giving him much help up front there's no, There's they're, no they're question not. about that, but at the same time, Sorokin is is too good, too talented and and at this point frankly too well paid
0: We have some to become fans.
1: part of the problem
0: right we have some fans out there. And I'm probably, I am, you and I are firmly in this, this, ca- this category, I think, where sometimes you just be- you, you become such a big fan of one particular player that you become blinded to their mistakes, or their flaws. Um, we have some Barzal fans out there, and I'm probably guilty of that occasionally. Um, and we certainly have Sorokin fans. And listen, I love Stefan uh, Rosner, um, but he's a goalie. And he looks. He thinks about hockey as a goalie, and he looks at Ilya like he's like every time. If every time he has a bad game, it's like, well, we're not giving him any support. All those right now, he's got a 907 save percentage. That's just not good enough. Nope. It's just not good enough. And And the advanced the
1: advanced stats under that don't look don't look any better. It actually looks worse.
0: Yeah, analytically,
1: I mean, last night, even when he was making saves, I don't know if you noticed this. this He was really far back in his net. He's peeking behind him every single time. He just—he wasn't I mean, sure of himself. How about the— How about the Evander
0: Kane, the one that came off the angle that he hit the crossbar, and they weren't sure. Oh, they weren't sure. But he,
1: he had no idea where that puck was going. No. He—he was—he was guessing the entire time. The McDavid goal, it hits him, and then it leaks through. And that's the second one of those in three games against Boston. Also, posternock, very weak shot from distance, and it just goes right through him. Like it hits him, and then it just keeps going. McDavid. Yeah. Not a great angle by McDavid coming in down the left side. Pretty. Sorokin really didn't give much to shoot at. And then it hits him and then it pops up and then it lands in our net.
0: I mean, Connor McDavid is great. Yes, is great, but
1: he's not great enough where he should be quite literally <laughs> shooting, shooting through, through, right. through the... a, a, a Vesna finalist.
0: Okay. Before we, before we do sign off, uh, I do want to thank everybody for joining us. And of course, uh, their support, uh, this is the red line. And, uh, we uh we do welcome your comments on Twitter at Phil's Facts at Tech on Sports. You can use the hashtag, uh, the Red Line. Give me some reason for optimism. Where were we? You're talking to me about this before the podcast. We're not in good shape right now, right? Nope. Um we are currently f- far out of the playoffs,
1: but not far out. We're only three points out of a playoff spot, but it's just there's a lot of teams in there. It's early in the season, right? So early in the season, it's. If you're like ten points out of the playoffs this early in the season, <laughs> something has gone horribly wrong.
0: Right. Um, good point. Good point. And and I think there was something. There was some sort of stat like if you are four points out of the playoffs by like November third or whatever it is, um, only like you have like eleven percent chance of making the playoffs.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, again, every every year it's different. Every I year. I don't I don't read too much into that. Every you know, you year could, is could, different.
0: Um. But where were we last year? Um, where were we uh, yeah, at? I was just going
1: to point out at, at the 50-game mark last year, right? So so people might not remember this, but in January, there was a stretch of 13 games where the Islanders only won two of them. They were 2-8-3, and, and a lot of that had to do with Pellick was out, Palmieri was out, uh, Barzal missed a game against Calgary. We were playing with a bunch of random plugs in the lineup. I think that was back when Parker Watherspoon was getting every game. But they were 23-22-5. 23, 22, and five.
0: 23. 22 and five. So that mark. is basically about an 82 point pace, right? I'm doing the rough 84, math.
1: 84, whatever you want to call it. 51 points in 50 games. They were in 11th place. They were six points behind Pittsburgh, who were in the eighth spot. And And this is going to be surprising to people because people remember Washington being terrible last year. But Washington was pretty comfortably in a playoff spot last year. They had 58 points, and they were seven points up on the Islanders. When the Islanders were at the fifty-game mark, um, and then they won a couple games, traded for Bo Horvat, went out, and and you know the rest. The rest is history until the playoffs, of course. So they're not out of it. They're not dead, but there are a lot of things that need to be corrected. And we've seen this team play well. They're not going to shoot three percent all year long, which is about what they've been shooting over the past four games. Which part of it is they have not been generating enough chances, and part of it is just simply not getting enough puck luck, right? I think they had what thirty-nine shots on Washington. Like, you know, at some point with the amount of volume they're getting, you'd think okay, something's going to hit a stick, a leg, a bounce, something's going to happen, and and none of it's happening in their favor, and everything is happening in the other direction. That's going to fix itself at some point, but the the systemic things that need to be fixed are. are Special teams. The special teams need to get much better and and they need to build the mental fortitude not to collapse in every single third period. And that's easier said than done. And I think a lot of that has to do with coaching and getting the right voice in there and someone who's going to reinforce good practices in them uh, when they face the you know the slightest bit of adversity. But it's it's salvageable. I, I do believe it is salvageable.
0: Uh just for uh for, for frame of reference here, Simon Holmstrom is shooting thirty one percent for the season. That's Ugh. not going to stand, nope. <laughs> right? Uh, Cal Clutterbuck, Casey Sizikus at eighteen and fifteen. Noah Dobson's at eleven, which is very high for our defenseman.
1: Right, uh, but then we've got Paggio at zero. Engel Brock at Nelson's
0: zero. at eleven, which is you know probably a little low lower than him. what he's going to do. He's yeah, Boharvats gonna... at nine point eight. Matt Martin, forget him. Who cares? Kyle Palmieri's at nine. Oliver Walsh is at what?
1: at? Like six? at
0: six now. Ryan Pulock yeah, I mean... at four point eight. Anders Lee is at three point three.
1: Even that's gonna get better people. I promise you that Lee's gonna shoot better than three point
0: three. I mean or, or or at some point Lane or whoever's the next coach is going to have to make the very difficult decision of our captain can't play. If he continues right. at this pace, he just doesn't do enough else. If he's not getting us you know, if he's not scoring twenty goals a season, getting dirty tip in, you know, goals in front of the net, he just doesn't do enough else, right? Right. Right. No, agreed. Oh, it's just a very somber red line podcast. I apologize to everybody. I'm it trying to is. stay up. You're, it's very rare that you are the optimistic one in, among the two of us, by the way. Yeah, but uh,
1: listen, let's. <laughs> I can very easily get to where you are if these next two, three games uh, go the way the last four games have gone, which it's very possible it will. I, I could see him beating
0: know, Vancouver just because it's, you know, Bo Horvat and the whole team rallies behind him. Kind of like.
1: And just because no one's expecting it, right? Vancouver's playing so well. They're getting such great goaltending. Everyone's on shooting benders there. So yeah. Be just but I could, see them, I could see them.
0: I could see him beating Vancouver and then just like. Just, and then the emotional down and then just laying an egg for Seattle.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's. that's a I might even possibility. bet on that.
0: <laughs> I might even bet on that. Go for it. <laughs> That's going to do it for us, everybody. Uh, We'll be back next week. For Phil Farber, I am David Tuchman. Thanks for listening to The Red Line. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye-bye.